I used to grow up every summer going and working in the field, working in tobacco. Maybe I should tone that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think a lot of times our, our, our environment is really what creates who we are. My dad has 14 brothers and sisters. They sell corn. These guys sell corn. And how to step back, you know, when your wife wants to do all the talking. <laughs> Dwayne, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thank you, thank you for coming to be here. Yeah, so try to yeah. try to try to hold back your enthusiasm as we move through this. Uh, yeah, well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Easy like Sunday morning. Okay. <laughs> right. Let me start with, with a with a tough question off the bat. If you think about the man that's that's Dwayne, right? How would you describe him? Dwayne is. Go ahead and finish that sentence. Dwayne is. Dwayne is a father. Of four, he's a husband, wonderful wife, brother to two siblings. You know, I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind, just in terms of my immediate family. You know, um, it's defining who I am somehow to me just immediately makes me reflect on my family. So those are the first things that come to my mind. Yeah. yeah. So what's the most rewarding aspect of being a dad? Uh, it's really just knowing how much of an impact I can have on the view and worldview of, of my kids, you know, how they, how their opinions and how their kind of ability to see the world is shaped by my mind, how they react to crises, how they respond to joys, you know, they, that's all learned behavior. So I think about that in terms of, you know, modeling certain characteristics that I want to make sure they have. And we're not doing it consciously a lot of times. We're just, they're just picking up everything around us. So I'm, I'm always trying to be aware of that. You know? and, and then I see it mirrored in other ways. Even even kind of in witty responses I give them, I see them saying it to other people. Like, okay, maybe I should tone that down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I don't want them to be right. hard as a king around their friends. <laughs> it's always amazing how much they pick up. So I... I very conscious of the influence we have. All right. So think about going back to your dad, right? You're the man you are in large part because of the man your dad was as a father towards you. He's the man he is because of the type of father his father was to him. So do you know the backstory there in terms of, if you, for example, my grandfather that's as far back as i know of he was kind of a man of the people right he was always kind open to people meeting people my dad was the exact same way never met a stranger and me and my son that's one small thing that we all have in common but if you think back how far back that's the first part of the question is how far back can you go in terms of knowing the type of men that existed in your family and then Tell me some stories of what you, or what you feel you may have learned or gained by having those, having that knowledge of the men they were, right? So can you go back to your grandfather? Can you go back to your great-grandfather? How far back can you go? And what lessons have you learned from the stories of, of, about their lives? Well, I will say that I can, I can only go back to my father because okay. he, my grandfather passed away when I was, when I was three. 
I mean, all I can remember that he was tall, he had a long beard, you know. But I ran, I ran into him in the, in, the, in the hallway one time, running around the house. And I just looked up, and it seemed like he just seemed like he was he was always into the sky, you know. His family has done such a wonderful job of, of continuing his legacy through stories. So I hear stories from all my brothers. I have, I have um, my dad has fourteen brothers and sisters, and they just sit around and tell stories about him all the time, you know. And, and I just absorb that because I can see how that shaped them. And this concept of patience, I'll just say this real quickly, that, that, that kind of runs through the whole family. I noticed that. And I think that is, when you talk about nurture and environment, I watch how patient my dad is, just how he handles situations. I've never seen him outburst or yell or, or somebody was telling me yesterday that dad would throw fits and throw stuff in the house. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 you know, people knew to go duck when dad got hungry. <laughs> There goes the shoe. Yeah. Everybody handles stress differently. I'm just saying it's great to know that, you know, that wasn't something I modeled, so I didn't know what that was like. Um, mm. But but as far as the, the, the impact that he's had, I think that he's probably, um, and, and especially growing up, mm. because he quick-witted, you know, very, very focused on what he believed, very focused on being independent, you know, and, 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 and very much reverent to the lessons he learned from his father. I heard that all the time. You know, dad had a third grade education, seventh, sixth grade education. Your grandfather. ended up building a, you know, you're my grandfather. Yeah, yeah. It was John. And, um, and, and, and what motivated him, you know, in a time growing up in North Carolina where, you know, segregation and discrimination was heavy in this country. More so than it is now because it was so blatant uh, and, and legal. Um, you know, he grew up in the 30s. So imagine growing up in the 30s in the South, right? Having 15 kids growing up on a farm, luckily they were all insulated because they had they were self-sufficient. So I'm sure that shaped him as well, you know. And uh, one thing he always said, his father always told him. And I remember this, and this is just this is from a business perspective. Is uh, he said he wanted his kids to grow up to be self-sufficient and never have to depend on the white man. Because you can see the impact of what that dependency does to others, right? How it takes your, your dignity sometimes, and especially the way it was, it was withheld. You know, people hoping to over your head, or people would be unfair in how you're treated. And the other mm-hmm. people out there you know, working in the field or whatever, just having to deal with that all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I, I got tons of stories about that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. but as far as his experience, how it affected me, I think it's just more just wanting to know how to, growing up on a farm, how to work hard, how to provide for your family, how to know what's important, and how to step back, you know, when your wife wants to do all the talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> but this is really that balance, it's recognized. They all had their strengths bringing to the relationship, and I think they respected each other so much that it wasn't seen as a competition. You know, he said you want to find a partner who's going to be able to be a, 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 a partner in everything, you know, <laughs> and then, and, and, and um, with a lot of relationships, he says the husband and wife are competing against each other. Mm. And that's that's something I think I probably picked up on subconsciously. I don't think I was thinking it straight out, but I know it was in my mind because I had something that was modeled. Right? So fortunately enough, I found a, a spouse who isn't competitive with me. You know, we try to build together. You know, and that's yeah, that's important. That's really important. Let me ask one follow-up question. So you mentioned that when the families get together, that there's stories being told about 
your dad, his parent, his dad. Any, any stories that, that resonate with you? My dad always talked about his father as somebody who didn't, who had complete trust in the cop and confidence in the abilities of his kids. He could sit back and not have to do anything, and he knew things would run fine. And uh, I thought I always thought about how did he create that, right? Okay. Anybody who runs a business wants to know that I don't have to be a slave to my business. Now he's like, okay, he, 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 he would. The kids would hear him tell white people come to the farm all the time. Now, how you keep things running so smooth? You know, he would say, well, I don't have to. I don't, if I don't even show up for a week, I know things are going to be going fine, you know, because uh, everybody knows what to do. Now, how do you create that? I'm not sure. I heard all, all kinds of different stories. So, so, yeah. And he wasn't somebody who, who, who liked to tell people twice, you know. Somewhere along the line, they were motivated by fear, but then became motivated by just responsibility. So I don't know how, where, where, where and how that happened, but... As they got older, he felt complete confidence that they could just run things that I had to be around. When I when I went to business school, one of the one of the classes I found most fascinating was called uh, you guys are both friends with Eric, we both took this class. It was called Speculative Markets. And that was a class learning about derivatives and about how the futures markets work and how commodities are traded and that you can actually make money without ever owning the product itself, right? Um, you can buy corn and you can't you don't even have to own the corn. <laughs> you can buy wheat, you know, you don't have to own the wheat. And finally, they make more than the farmers do, you know. But that's not fair. You know, these guys come from a family of farmers, and, and people sitting up in, behind some desks are making way more money than they do. They don't even have to touch the same product that they're, that they're, that they're selling to. They sell corn. These guys sell corn. And I, I, honestly, this is probably, he ended up having a huge farm, about 2,000 acres more, and they grew, like, cotton, tobacco, soybeans, all these things. And he all these kids, and his kids, um, and his brothers and sisters all worked for him, John. So that was a unique environment for my dad to witness, to see, okay, here's how you run a family, you run a business, and you can provide. He cooked every morning, his wife cooked meals every morning for him, and he'd wake up every day and go out in the field. And John basically was running an enterprise, right? But um, he was very adept at learning about how important it is to invest in real estate. So whenever, what happened was they started as, as a self-sufficient farmer, you know, you didn't have to go to the store and buy much. Cotton was so cheap back then. This was, this was before the, the Second World War. Uh, cotton was very cheap. So he's like, I'm not taking my cotton to the market. You're just going to store it up in these bins. Have these big farm houses they could just store stuff up in. And the stuff would just store up. Every year, just keep storing it because it wasn't, wasn't worth anything. And people would be like, um, now what are you going to do with all that cotton back here, you know? He's like, well, I'm not missing it, you know. I don't, if I don't get anything for it, I'm, I'm going to be all right. But basically, it was too cheap to sell. The reason I brought up the commodities is because, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the dream of a commodities trader, right, to be able to buy something really low. But you don't have to store it if you're sitting on Wall Street. He had, he had to have the farmhouses to store all this stuff. So he stored years of cotton production, and it was never brought to market. Then World War II broke out, and cotton prices jumped, like, five times, I think it was, you know, and cotton just was ridiculously expensive relative, I forget the pricing, but, um, and then he said, okay, now it's time to sell. And that's, that's the start of his real enterprise, because he was able to bank on and start buying property, buying farms. Mm. And this, my dad would tell the story about how he bought this farm, how he bought this farm, started paying cash for farms, you know, and it got so, a lot of times because he's black, he would have a white person bid on the farm. You know, mm. people farm a book for sale, and they'd be like, um, uh, 
uh, ain't no black people. They won't use the word black people. But yeah, you know, yeah, right, right. you're gonna get on this one. It's way too expensive, right? Right. And he has he has this, this, this front man who he had become friends with because a lot of white people come and visit him just to talk and gain his wisdom. But some you know very cooperative. So he would let them go bid on the farms for him, and he would basically buy them. Well, people found out that it was him that bought the farm. Some of them. Some one of them was a big farm called Mercer Place. I forget. He still owns it. It's all in his family. Uh, they found out that that was bought by him and paid for by cash because he didn't believe in debt. Um, the IRS came out there to the house, you know. Uh, and people would, you know, and he basically this 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 is North Carolina, you know, probably in the in the maybe late forties. Uh, I was going to ask you that. It was in the forties. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because after World War One, you know, but they came out and just started blam said, uh, you know, we want to check and see. They thought he was they thought he was selling moonshine, right? Moonshine was a big thing. So mm-hmm. he just go in his house, you know, and start looking over stuff, policing everybody, you know. Um, uh, and then what they ended up doing, they didn't find it. He said, well, you all free to go look wherever you want to. And they didn't find anything. And they said, well, where did you get all that money from, you know, to pay, to pay for this farm? Uh, also, in short, he had, uh, they made him pay a certain amount of taxes that were pretty much equal to the price of the farm, you know. He, he only had like a third grade. Seventh grade education, but um, so he didn't really understand the business world. He just was common sense oriented. But my dad would tell me stories all the time about how he would be there and see these things happen, and how that affected him. Uh, and he didn't drive to be independent, you know. And, and he always he always would say, "Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing." You know, <laughs> A lot of people get a little money and they want to go flaunt it, you know. Yeah. He just found out. He said, "You keep that quiet." That's mm. that's a that's an attribute today for black people in business. Honestly, they do not want the ones who are really trying to do something do not want people to know what they're doing. And it's unfortunate because it, it deprives other people from learning, but at the same time, it's a self protection, right? Because we've been, we've learned over the years throughout history that you put yourself out there as a success story, you become a target. Well, yeah. Coming at me. But but that was that was his beginning and how he got his farming and how he started getting his land and so forth. So one of the stands out for me is that and one of the stands out for me, Dwayne, is hearing these stories is that it's all about exposure, right? So you, you you're benefited by having a grandfather who with a third or seventh grade education understood, you know, how to maximize resources, how to be independent how to uh, seize opportunities, and who knows where he got it from. But you're benefited by having those stories in your family. So let, let me ask a follow-up question. Knowing these stories about John, right, and how they obviously impacted your dad, how are you transferring that knowledge and those stories on to your, to your boys and, and your girls? So now you have four. I, I tell stories, you know, and kids, my kids are young, so they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not up for the stories just yet. I mean, like, every time I tell them, they ask a question, I don't, I don't have to tell the stories, and I give a long answer, and they start, you know, wanting to get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, I'm not the only one. So, do you often, you, do you often hear... Daddy, I don't want to hear all that. I just want to know X, Y, Z. Is that what you hear from your boy, your kids? Definitely. definitely. Okay. And, okay. and, and that, they'll just they'll, they'll try not to say that sometimes, but I can tell what's the point if you're not listening. But they are listening. 
Uh, man, I don't know what's going on with my mic, but you can hear me now, right? I wanted to circle back because you mentioned something. I mean, your your grandfather sounds fascinating in what you were yeah. describing, but you also mentioned when you were at grad school. It was since your your grandfather had a third grade education. But when you went to, to Wharton or when you went to college or grad school, did you see certain things that you learned with the commodities that your your grandfather was just doing that he just learned from business? Like the, when you talked about the, I'm the one who had to put it in the warehouse yeah. and it, maybe it'll go in the fire. I was thinking of risk right. management, but he didn't care because the price was so low. So maybe that was like a black swan event if it fell. So he may not have had those words. But did you see a lot of Wharton well, knowledge in your grandfather's yeah, experiences? But so I went you know to business mean? school. My, my grandfather passed away, but he had all these sons that were still running the farm, you know. And they were still, so I, would, I would come every summer and work with them sometimes. You know, by the time mm -hmm. I got to business school, I wasn't coming during the summertime, but I would still come and visit. I used to grow up every summer going and working in the fields, working in tobacco, picking cotton, mm -hmm. picking peppers, so just learning. It's because I, I was only back to hang out with my cousins. If you're going to hang out during the summertime, you got to come out and work with us because we're going to be out there working too. <laughs> so we had a good time. But, you know, you know, you, you learn a little bit and you say, well, let me go back and see how this works in real life. So now I could relate to some of the things I was learning from a tangible perspective. Um, the, the, I would ask my uncle, I said, look, I mean, you guys are all this corn. What do you do to hedge your pricing for your corn? You know, but that's really what I was learning in business. How do you, how do you hedge a commodity? You know, if you want to lock in your price by the time you plant it in the ground, the price, you want to know what that price is going to be when it's time to harvest. And uh, I was like, well, I'm here coming up, trying not to, you know, come up with a bunch of fancy ideas, but I just wanted to kind of get a sense how they operated. They hadn't even heard of any of this stuff, right? So, so they basically were at the whims of the weather, of the supply and demand, whatever those factors were that played in uh, at the time of harvest based upon as long as they made more money than they they, they spent in labor and seeds and so forth, they, were, they came out with a little bit of a profit. So it was very unsophisticated from that perspective. They weren't using any of the, <laughs> the locking and pricing and hedging. And I'm, I'm here talking about stuff, and they're just listening I, out of out of politeness. It's funny because a uh, quick story is I was working in a software company, and this guy from Canada, and he says, this is the way you run any business. Income will exceed expenses, and that's it. Yeah. We will always bring in more money than we spend out, and that's a profit. That's the way I'm ready. And we grew from $200 million to $600 million. He's like, that's, that's all that's we're going to manage. Simple, and it was that's that's hilarious. That's the it's basic math. And all that other stuff in so. between is, is, is what you pay for that fancy degree. But, <laughs> 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 if you got a problem with that man there, you know, you're not going to be around so, I mean, you were working in the summers and things, but um, did you, when you were younger or even today, were you reading any books that you would say, man, this, this, how to influence people and win friends or this Napoleon Hill or this uh, whomever, anything like that yeah. inspire you outside of the, what you had to read for college? 